Okay, so we just wrapped up a short four-week series um, called I'm Okay in Jesus. And, and the whole point of this series was just, just gospel. Uh, what does it mean? How, how do I know when, it, when something happens or, or evil comes or, or whatever it may be, to be able to step back and say, I'm, I'm okay. And, and why am I okay? I'm okay because I'm, I'm in Jesus. I'm united with him. And so we just spent one week looking at I'm and our condition, okay, um, that I'm justified, I'm adopted, I'm sanctified in Christ, and then in union. I'm in union, I'm united with him, and then with who, with what, with, with Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. And so we looked at the deity of Jesus, that if he's not God, he can't forgive us of our sins. And so we, we looked at that uh, in the last four weeks. And so the next uh, eight weeks, we're gonna be looking at uh, narratives. We're, we're calling this the waters in which we swim. And cultural dogmas and gospel responses, looking at the idea that we get, we get uh, for lack of a better word, catechized by our culture of they, they say this thing is what you need. This is what you need for success or we're gonna look at politics and tolerance or intolerance or being on the right side of history and, and we're gonna look at some pretty difficult conversations in this of looking at here's what culture's saying and what is a gospel response to this, right? Um, do, do, do politics change the world? Um, and so tonight though, we are gonna be looking at uh, happiness as, as Ben mentioned and uh, looking at what, what happiness means and the cultural dogmas, what they teach and what, what our culture tells us about happiness. And so to kind of counteract what culture is saying by using scripture and with the gospel of Jesus Christ to say, is it really about happiness, right? Is it okay to be happy, right? Um, so I wanna look at that. Um, you've probably heard this phrase uh, before, money, money can't buy happiness. I, I did a wedding um, sometime this weekend Today's Sunday, so it was Friday, um, and uh, and I uh, there, we, we read a passage from Song of Solomon in there, and, and basically the, the the passage says that if if a man sells everything that he has um, and to buy love, he would be uh, he would be despised, right? And so I kind of made the joke about you know Beatles, you know can't buy me love kind of a thing, but that's what it's saying, right? You you can't you can't buy love, you can't buy happiness even with those things. It just doesn't. Doesn't work that way. Um, and then as I was just kind of looking around for an illustration, I saw a t-shirt that said, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy ice cream. And that's kind of the same thing. Um, so, and, and I've heard the joke before, you might have heard it too. Like, have you ever seen someone pouting while they're on a jet ski? No, you haven't. Okay, money can buy happiness for a fleeting moment, at least it can. Um, and obviously those are, those are jokes. We all know that money can't buy happiness. But... Um, what is happiness? And so I wanna do, I wanna look at the, the philosopher of uh, Charlie Brown. Um, I, uh, some of you may know this about me, but I used to be, um, uh, I used to act, do a lot of acting in high school and college. When I was in college, we did You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And so, you know, after football practice, I would go put on my red shirt and grab my blankie and put my thumb in my, in my mouth and be Linus, right? And it's a musical and, uh, it was an interesting dynamic that I had going on in college, but um, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. It's a musical, and I don't really like musicals. There's something about musicals that like, people just all of a sudden start singing the same song, and I'm like, what are they doing? Like, they, nobody does that. Uh, I just don't like it. Um, but I liked acting, and so I did, I did that. Um, anyways, there's a song, the closing song, if you've seen this, it's a Broadway thing, and, and it's pretty popular. You could just Google it, not right now, but later you could listen to the soundtrack. Um, and the last song, though, is called Happiness. 
And happiness is, and they go on to explain what happiness is. So I just want to read some of the lyrics from it. It says, happiness is finding a pencil. Like, okay. Pizza with sausage telling the time. Happiness is learning to whistle, tying your shoe for the very first time. It just doesn't make you feel good, right, just reading this, all right? Happiness is playing the drum in your own school band, and happiness is walking hand in hand. Happiness is two kinds of ice cream. It's knowing a secret. It's climbing a tree. Happiness is five different crayons. <laughs> happiness is catching a firefly and setting him free. Happiness is being alone every now and then, amen? And happiness is coming home again. Happiness is morning and evening, daytime and nighttime too. For happiness is anyone and anything at all that's loved by you, right? That just makes you feel warm inside, right? That's, that's happiness. And I think we know what happiness is. We, we could be happy and sad all within, you know, two minutes of each other and going back and forth on these different things. But that's what happiness is. But what our culture tells us is that you deserve to be happy. Right? And we, we look at anything that happens to us that could be negative or whatever, and what culture says, if you're not happy, you should get rid, you should get rid of whatever is making you unhappy and fill yourself with whatever makes you happy. Because after all, you deserve to be happy. Right? Man, oh man, I could, that could preach. Right? I could easily stand up here and open the Bible and find some verses in here that talk about, man, this is going to be good for you. God wants what's best for your life. All these different things. He just wants you to be happy. You deserve to be happy. I want to look, is that what the Bible teaches? Um, because no, it doesn't. But what our culture teaches us is that if something makes you unhappy, get rid of it. Not happy with your wife? Eh, just, just divorce her. Not happy with, with your family? Well, just leave not happy with your job, we'll just move on to something else. Right? You deserve to be happy. You don't like your car, eh, it's fine. Just take out a big loan, you'll figure it out. You deserve, you deserve this. That's what culture tells us. And you've probably been told that all the time. And even at this last wedding I was at, right? It was coming from a, a family that, that necessarily wasn't a believer on, on one side, and that was happening over and over and over, right? And when in doubt, right, just, just buy her diamonds. And it's like, man, no. Well, I mean, buy diamonds, it's fine, but... But that makes you happy, but that doesn't, that doesn't give, that doesn't sustain your marriage, right? So I want to look at, at this a little bit uh, in, in depth. There was a, um, I can't read her name, Emily Smith. That's right, it was an easy one to remember. She said this, uh, eventually I decided to go to graduate school for positive psychology. I'm like, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> went to school. This is, so other so that's, I'm not the expert. Other people are the experts. You go to school for positive psychology, and I'll read your quote here. That's, that's, how, I make, that's how I make my job. Um, go to school for positive psychology to learn what truly makes people happy. What I discovered there changed my life. The data showed that chasing happiness can make people unhappy. And what really struck me was this. The suicide rate has, uh, is rising around the world and, in recently, and it recently reached a 30-year high in America. Even though life is getting objectively better by nearly every conceivable standard, more people uh, feel hopeless, depressed, and alone. There's an emptiness that is gnawing away at people. And sooner or later, I think we will all wonder, is this all there is? And according to the research, what predicts this despair is not a lack of happiness, but a lack of having meaning in life. So what is this meaning? 
What should we be looking for, right? If it's not about deserving to be happy, should it be, okay, then we just ho-hum, glow-glum, that's, that's not a thing, glow-glum. <laughs> glub, 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 that's what it was. Blub, 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 kid's book. Kid's book, you know, blub, blub, fish. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, now I'm just reciting it in my head. I apologize. I totally got distracted. Okay, but it's not just about being in despair. There's a meaning. What is the meaning? What am I looking for in this life? What should I be reaching after? And so I want to look at Jeremiah. If you grab, grab a hand, hand out, most of it fit on there, but not all of it. But I want to look at this passage, just an Old Testament passage of, of God showing up to his people, Israel, and saying, man, this is what it once was. This is how great it was, but then something happened, right? You're now no longer happy. Something changed in who you are in your life and your motivation for living. And so I want to just walk through this passage. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I want to read through it. It says this, the word of Yahweh came to me, Jeremiah the prophet, go and proclaim in all the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what Yahweh says. I remember the devotion of your youth and how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown, right? Just, so he's just talking about Exodus here, which we spent 33 weeks on. Israel was holy to Yahweh, the first fruits of his harvest. And all who devoted her uh, were held, all who devoured her were held guilty. And disaster overtook them, declares Yahweh. Okay, so God is putting his blessing and his, his sovereign control over Israel and everybody who confronts and, and tries to fight Israel, he's saying, I, I destroyed them for you because you're my people. But then he says this, hear the word of Yahweh, your descendants of, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what Yahweh says. What fault did your ancestors find in me? All right, so he's kind of, he's saying, okay, but that's what you had and something changed. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is Yahweh who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? They didn't ask that question. Where's this God who is so powerful with us in previous generations. I brought you into a fertile land to eat fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest did not, did not ask, where is Yahweh? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me and the prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares Yahweh, and I will bring charges against your children's Children, cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look, send a Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. Right? This is, it's, a, it's a powerful statement God is asking here. Has a nation ever changed their gods? Have they ever switched? In the history, no, except Israel does all the time. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled by this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares Yahweh. And he says this, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. All right. 
He points out two things here. My people have committed two sins. The first one is they have forsaken me. They've walked away from me, but it wasn't just, they didn't just turn their back on me, the spring of living water. They started doing their own thing. They started worshiping broken cisterns that can't even hold water. While the spring of living water is right here. And I've read this uh, quote before by C.S. Lewis, and I'm gonna read it again here. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum, a broken cistern, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We forsake, we have forsaken God, and we worship idols. So what is the result of that in Yahweh's mind? Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has she become plunder? Lions have roared and they have growled at him. They have laid waste his land. His towns are buried and deserted, are burned and deserted. Also the men of Memphis and Theophanes have cracked your skull. You have not brought this, have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking Yahweh your God? Right, that's, that's what's happening. He's not saying, I'm punishing you. He's saying, because you chose to reject me and, and for, chose to not drink of this living water and chose to make your own broken cisterns, you have brought this on yourselves by forsaking Yahweh your God when he led you in the way. Now why go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? Right? We just, I just brought you out of there. Why are you going back there? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake Yahweh your God and have no awe of me. When you walk away and you abandon me, you can't even imagine the holiday at the sea and you're stuck making mud pies in the slums, declares the Lord Yahweh Almighty. So what's the answer? Well, I just finished a really short series on it. It was about four weeks long. It was called I'm Okay in Jesus. That's the answer. I have to be okay in Jesus because if I look at anything else, if I try to fulfill who I am with anything else other than the, the God of the universe, it's not gonna work. We talked about this in the, in the I'm and in, in the created in the image of God that we have, every human being has this God-sized hole in their heart, that every human longs to be fulfilled by something. But, it, and I don't think I talked about this. I used to always think, that seems really arrogant of God to do, right? Like, I'm gonna make human beings, and the only thing that will satisfy them is gonna be me. I used to think, I was like, man, I, I kinda, God's kinda stuck up. I mean, he's kinda like, hey, you, this is all about me. But then if you think about it, if he is the ultimate, only, fully, all-consuming satisfier and joy giver, then everything else in the world that I could possibly worship is terrible in comparison to God. So the most gracious thing our creator could do is say, I am the only thing that can truly satisfy you. John 16, says this, I have told you these things so that in me, in Christ you may have peace. And G this is the words of Jesus Christ. 
in this world you will have trouble. God doesn't want you to be happy. We gotta get that out of our minds. It's not about being happy. It sounds really bad. There's good news coming, okay? Just <laughs> but in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That should bring us joy because I'm in Christ and I'm okay in Jesus. So no matter what calamity befalls me, no matter what sin I'm entangled in, no matter what's going on in my marriage, no matter what health issues my kids have or my parents have or anything, I'm okay because of Jesus, not because of this. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And we looked at this a couple times last week or maybe two weeks ago, but the difference between happiness and joy and, and making the comparison of the two. Because happiness is, is temporal. It's temporal, right? It, it, can, it can fade away that everything that makes me happy. And there's a lot of those things, right? My Jeep, that's gonna fade away probably like next week, right? It's, it's temporal, right? The Green Bay Packers, right? my wife, my kids, it's all gonna fade away. It's all gonna die. It's all gonna decay. My job, if that's what I'm putting my faith and my trust and my joy in, what are we doing? It's all gonna die, it's all gonna fade away. Happiness is temporal, but joy, joy is eternal. You can take that away, but you can't take this away. You can't take Jesus away. I may not always feel it, and I might be really sad. I might be in a really, really dark place, but I can still find joy in my Savior. Happiness is circumstantial. It's what happens to me, what happens around me, but joy transcends circumstances. If you've ever been through suffering, you're going through suffering, and you look at that situation or thing that's happening to you, man, it's so easy to just focus on that thing. But the joy that we can have in Christ and our union with him and with the Father and with the Spirit, it transcends the stuff and the sicknesses of death and loss. I'm okay in Jesus. Happiness avoids suffering at all costs. I'm gonna just I'm gonna get away from it. I don't wanna think about it. I'm gonna walk away. I don't wanna, I don't wanna mess with it. I'm gonna walk with this situation, my marriage, whatever. It's too difficult for me right now. I'm out. This job, school, you know what? I deserve to be happy. I quit. That's happiness. Happiness avoids suffering at all costs, but joy recognizes that everything, as even evil, can be for God's glory. That's joy. Uh, pope Keller um, said this, not, he's not the Pope, um, said this, and so the meaning of life is to have the freedom to choose the life that makes you most happy. Okay, that's, that's the dogma. The meaning of life is to have the freedom to choose the life that makes you most happy. However, in that view of things, suffering can have no meaningful part. Suffering is just something you gotta deal with or you have to avoid or run away from. It can't have any meaning. It is a complete interruption of your life story. It cannot be a meaningful part of the story. In this approach to life, suffering should be avoided at almost any cost 
or minimized to the greatest degree possible. So what do we do? We numb it with alcohol, with drugs, with whatever. We avoid confrontation. This does, uh, makes me uncomfortable. We, do, we crave comfort and happiness. Because culture says we deserve that. And it, feel, it does feel good. Right? When I have a beef with somebody, I don't like talking to them. It's not like, man, I love fighting with this guy. No, of course not. Except Chaz. Chaz is kind of fun to fight with. But The Apostle Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this, when I was 14, right after my dad died, these were my life verses. Okay? These are pretty dark verses for a, for a 14-year-old to embrace. But I think that I, I know there are people in this room that, that get this and can put themselves in the place of the Apostle Paul. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, okay, a little context, the Apostle Paul is suffering from something. And he's, he's gonna go on to explain, I prayed this would go away. What I love about this passage, and I don't care what commentary you read, if any commentary says it was this thing, they're wrong. Okay, he doesn't say what it is. We don't know what it was. It could have been anything. What I love about it is it could have been your thing. The thing you struggle with, the thing that you really have a hard time with, and you've prayed to God over and over in seasons of your life to remove this, to fix this, to help with something, and he says no. Maybe the Apostle Paul was praying for the exact same thing. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That doesn't sound like God wants you to be happy. It sounds like his grace is gonna be sufficient for you. And his power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says this, therefore, I will boast. I'm not gonna run away, I'm not gonna flee my suffering. I'm gonna, I'm gonna boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's a guy who says I'm okay in Jesus. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, right? It's not, again, it's not like the Apostle Paul like laughing and woohoo, I I'm, broke my arm. Like that's not, that's not what he's saying here. So I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, I am strong. How am I strong? I, am not, I can't be strong physically. I can't be strong mentally. I can't be any of this stuff. I'm strong because I'm okay in Jesus. I'm strong because of Christ and my position in him. Again, Tim Keller says this, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Let that sink in. You don't, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And you, you may have seen somebody who's going through suffering. I've got a, a family member of mine right now who's just fading away real fast. And for the first time in his life, you know what he's doing? He's asking the hard questions. There's no atheist in the foxhole and he's in a foxhole. And now he's saying, who's this Jesus guy? 
Because when you're staring death, down death's door, you want to know these things. And when you get into those positions, and some of you might be sitting here and be like, man, I love Jesus, but man, my life, I mean, I'm an American. <laughs> it's actually been pretty, pretty good in comparison to everything else. But your hardships are still your hardships. Right? The, the difficulties and things that you're struggling with, they're still real. So don't minimize the thing that you're going with. It's like, well, I don't have cancer. Well, maybe your cat died last week. That's still hard. It'd be more if it was a dog, but, you know. <laughs> don't minimize that. Embrace Jesus and be okay in him. And it's okay to mourn. So how do we have joy in Jesus? How do we do this? How do we go about doing this? Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay. We've talked about this before, but in Scripture, there's this antinomy. There's this cognitive dissonance, right? There's, there's, there's something I can read here about the sovereignty of God, and yet I can read and prove that man has responsibility. And somehow those things come together. That I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I'm okay in Jesus, that I abide in him, and he's the one who causes me to remain and to persevere and gives me the nutrients to be able to abide in him, the true vine. And yet, we see things that you've got to work for this. That it takes seasons and years and cultivating. It's not easy. So he says here, take off, throw off everything that hinders you. And the sin that so easily entangles, right? There's so many times where, where the Christian life is, is demonstrated as, as a race as a workout, right? Anybody who's ever done anything athletic, it's not easy. Some, some people it's easy, but for me it wasn't. And so what do you do? You, you take those weights off and the sin that hinders and, and so easily ensnares and entangles me. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So I've got to persevere, but the race has already been marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, again, just the sovereignty of God, the author and perfecter of faith. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, this is the same, same thing here. The joy that was set before Jesus to forgive the sins of all mankind that would put their faith and trust in him. That was the joy, not the cross. Right? Jesus wasn't skipping and dancing and singing you know, glad songs and rainbows and butterflies while he was hanging on the cross. That was painful, excruciating. That's where we get that word, crucifixion, excruciating pain. He endured that for the joy set before him, scorning the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we do this? How do we seek joy in Christ? So consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do we do this? How do we have real, lasting joy? I'm okay in Jesus. And when these moments and things happen to us that want to tear us apart and, and distract us from anything that's going on, we have to constantly go back to Jesus. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, can I confess something? And it's like, weird, a preacher's going to confess? Yes, I am. I, I'm, in a, I'm, in a, I'm, in a, I'm weary right now. I, I've been working a lot, and I'm just tired, right? And I get distracted by all the stuff that, that's not getting done, and I lose heart. 
But I'm okay in Jesus. But it's okay to be in dark places sometimes. It's okay. As long as he is your savior, you can say that. And I can say that, that I, I, I glory in this stuff. That his strength is magnified in my weakness. Hope y'all come back next week. However, what this sermon is not about, okay? It's been ho-hum, glue-glum. I just said it again. <laughs> Here's what this sermon's not about. It's not about false asceticism, right? It's not about beat your body, woe is me. It's okay to have fun, okay? I need you to hear that. It's okay to be happy. You don't need to be sad or unhappy. It's okay to be happy. Just don't pursue happiness. Just don't make happiness the end goal. If something makes you happy and you enjoy something, man, go for it. Just don't make that your idol because it's a broken sister and it's gonna fade away. Christ won't. I remember just the culture I grew up in, it was like bad. If you were having too much fun, it was like a bad thing. I don't know if, if you grew up like that. Uh, but I think a lot of stern religious families and it's just kind of how it was. I'll never forget, I was on a, on a, a football trip and um, we, were, we were on a bus and this was before smartphones. So, so before then, people would like talk to each other and that kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not dogging. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm just, we're on this bus and we had these, um, we played this stupid game um, called, we called, I forget what, it was like a assassin or something like that. But, you know, there's a group of 50 of us on this bus and we'd have two assassins. And what you do is these, you know, grown, <laughs> grown men uh, would, would we'd stare each other in the eyes. And if you were the assassin, you would wink. And if you winked at somebody, then you killed them, right? So everybody else is looking for who, they're trying to catch somebody winking at somebody else. But if you get winked at, you're dead, right? So we're back there just laughing, having a good time, a bunch of grown men winking at each other, just playing this game, right? We're having a lot of fun, though, really enjoying ourselves. And our coach comes storming back there. What are you guys doing back here, wrestling around? It's like, did you say wrestling? Yeah, he said wrestling. Stop talking, sit, sit down, get in your seats, and look forward. It was just like we're, not, like, we're not even, like, we're literally winking at each other. Like, that's the least unharmful thing somebody could do to somebody. I was, I was so confused, but that was just the culture we grew up in, and you don't need to be that way. It's okay to relax. It's okay to have fun, but just don't make that your idol. Don't make that your idol. And we sing this song. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I dare not enjoy this thing, this broken cistern, this idol, this false God, even if it's a good thing, like my family, like my job. I dare not trust that, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So the gospel application tonight, are you okay in Jesus? It always comes back to that question. And it's okay to be sad, it's okay to be going through a difficult time, but can you say, I, when I really look in deep, I'm okay. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine the other day. Actually, he's a relative of mine. I don't know why I said good friend. He's a good friend of mine too. But. And he's going through a really difficult time, and he just wanted me to tell him what to do. I just said, I can't, 
I can't tell you what to do, but here's what I want for you. I want you to be able to say, you're okay in Jesus. I need you to be able to say that. That's what it's all about. We're gonna have uh, communion here like we always do. And um, I would like you, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, please don't hesitate. Feel free to come forward. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church. Maybe this is the first time you've ever maybe even heard of communion. But if you say, yeah, I think I am okay in Jesus, or, or at least I wanna be okay in that guy, because right now I'm not satisfied, and I would like to be. Uh, I'd love you to, love to come forward and, and have communion with us and talk with me after, because I want you to be able to say that. And we're gonna take these elements, and as we take them, just be reminded of what Jesus did for you. The only reason why you're okay in Jesus is because of what Jesus did and who he is. So we take the bread, even the gluten-free ones over here, still remind us, and we taste and see that God is good. And then we take the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us and we can magnify and glorify the son of the most high God and be filled with the spirit as we take these elements and as we sing and as we pray. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father God, you are so good. And God, there are times and moments in our life where we go through suffering, we go through trials, we go through difficult things, we have thorns in our flesh, and it's so easy to be distracted, to take our eyes off of you. But God, I pray that we wouldn't trust in the sweetest frame. We wouldn't trust in this, this thing that we love that is a creation of you. We would rather worship and fully lean on Jesus' name. So God, would that be true of us tonight and be honored and glorified as we partake of these elements together as your body. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. amen.